Hey guys, we are so glad you're here with us at Journey Church Online. If you're interested in getting more information about Journey Church, we have a messaging service where you can text the phrase, My Welcome to 94000. This will help you get to know a little bit more about Journey Church. Also, if you want updates texted to your phone about what's going on here at Journey Church, please text the phrase, My Journey to 94000. As we get ready for today's message, take a minute and share this video with someone. The small action of sharing this video on social media could be the start of life change for whoever sees it. Now. journey. How are you? All right. Hey, you guys, I'm uh, Pastor Daniel, and I serve as the executive pastor here. And today uh, I get the honor of wrapping up the Family Foundation series uh, with you guys. Has that series blessed any any of you guys? You learned anything from it? It's been a fun series uh, for us to walk through. Pastor Dan, our Dan Greer, did an amazing job uh, last week walking through marriage. And today we end our Family Foundation series by looking at parenting, and I want you to know that I absolutely love being a father. Man, I love it. I love every aspect of it. I like seeing my child grow. I like watching her develop. I like watching her learn new things. I love watching her discover things that she's great at, and I love watching her discover things that she needs to try to try harder at. The least favorite part of being a parent probably will be homework, right? Anything other than that, I actually love being a part of. I, I just think it's a great, it's uh, an honor that God chooses to bless any of us with the leadership of, of someone else. So if you're a parent in the room, we're going to get this out of the way. Just raise your hand real quick if you're a parent in the room. So I want you guys to really, really pay attention today, but I also want you to know if your hand was not raised that there is truth in Scripture that God still wants you to know and He wants you to learn today. And it's things that will allow you, one, to impact, hopefully, the lives of your future children, but the life of anyone that's coming in the generation behind you. One of the things that you get to do as a parent is you get to brag on your kids, right? You get to brag on them. A lot of times it turns into showing pictures off. And so now we do that through social media. Back in the day, it was a dad pulling out his wallet and it looked like accordion opening up, right? It's 15, 20 pictures. He's like, hey, let me show you my kids and all the good stuff that they've done lately. And I don't know about you, but I enjoy posting stuff on Facebook. And from the time that I discovered it as a sophomore in college, I started posting various things uh, uh, here and there. And so it's fun now to look back on the memories that I have on Facebook. But there's a few that own me every time, right? You know this as a parent. All of a sudden, a memory pops up, and you're like, whew, I don't know if I was emotionally ready for that one today. There's great moments or just moments that you remember uh, as a child. They bring back memories. One for me is this picture here. This is my daughter. It is very pixelated because it's an older picture. She is 10 now, and she is about three months old right now. I want to give you guys a chance to say, ah, because I know you want to. And so on three, we're going to all do that together, right? One, two, three. 
Uh, th- thank you guys for making me feel better. Uh, she looks a lot like me. I get that. And so she's a beautiful child. This, this picture, you probably look at it and you probably go, eh, cute kid. But for me, there's memories attached to it. So it means more to me. When I look at that picture, I'm reminded of the stage of life that we're in. I know that up under that cool-looking hat, there's no hair because for two years she couldn't hardly grow any. I know that, that there's a bald head up under there. I know that this stuffed animal at the bottom of the picture has been covered in more slobber than any stuffed animal in our house. And I remember at this point in our life that Erica had to get up and go to work early, and I got the honor of getting Madison up and picking her outfits out and putting her in the car seat after she had been fed breakfast and driving her to daycare. In those moments, I remember those moments. I remember what it was like getting her up. I remember the fun that we had together. I remember trying to get her to make food when she would blow it right back out of her mouth and ruin whatever it is I had put on her that morning. I remember all of those things because of this picture And what I want to talk to you today is about the picture that you're painting. Because one day people will look back on pictures of you and they will have memories attached to those pictures. And they will begin telling stories about who you are and about the things that you did and about the things that you accomplished. And hopefully as parents, when our children look back on the lives that we've had a chance to share with them, they'll say, there was a godly mom and there was a godly dad and, be, and dad, and because of them, I'm walking with Jesus today. I remember it all, all too well, raising Maddie B at that age and, and at that point beginning to dream dreams for her. Thinking of things that I wanted her to accomplish and what I wanted her life to look like. And just thinking about what she would do and, and who she would be. And early in the morning praying, God, I want you to protect her, but I want you to use her to make a difference even more. And so, sure, I want her to be safe, but God, I want her to go and I want her to have an impact for the gospel in this world, unlike anything that we've, we've ever seen. I remember those desires that I had for her. There were some other desires. Like, there are times I tell her, Maddie B., you can learn to love anybody. Make sure that the person you're marrying is well off, right? You know, we all have those parenting moments. And in fact, I, I read a study recently that shared five things that, that parents want for their children. So we're going to walk through those real quickly. And, and, and they make sense. If you read them, you go, yeah, these are probably things that I want for my kids too. But I hope as we go through them, you see that there's something deeper that we can desire for our children than what we normally desire for our kids here in America. And the first one is this. It's to be happy. We want our kids to be happy. Who doesn't? Right? Nobody likes when their kid is in a bad mood. One bad mood can change an entire household. So we want our kids to be happy. We want them to enjoy life. We want them to have fun. But listen, if you're in here, you know that happiness is oftentimes determined by your circumstances. But joy, we're going to dig into this next week or a couple weeks from now. Pastor Mike's going to kick it off. But joy is something internal. It's something deeper than happiness. But sure, we want our kids to be happy. We want them to have a good time. We want them to enjoy the things that they're getting to do. We also say we want our kids to be healthy. Nobody wants their child to be sick. And in fact, it's miserable for you as a parent when your child is hurting or when they're sick. You're hurting with them. You can't understand that until you have kids. But then you get it when your parents used to say things like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And you're like, there is no way. But you get that as a parent, right? When you become a father or a mother yourself, you understand it. And you don't want your kids to suffer. You don't want them to experience sickness. We also say we want our kids to be stable. 
We want them to be stable. Parents want their kids to have a stable life. That's, that's just in general. They don't want them jumping around from job to job or relationship to relationship. Just some sort of stability. And then we also want them to be stable in their finances, right? That, I don't know what that means for you, but the parents in the study were saying, look, I just want my kids not to wake up every day and worry about paying their bills, and if you've lived a little bit, you know that has more to do with how you manage your money than how much you actually bring in. But we want that for our kids. We want them to be stable, not to worry about how they're going to eat, not to worry about how they're going to make their house payment or their power payment or their phone payment. We want those things for our kids. We also want them to be loved. We want them to be loved. You want this. We want them to have that. We want our kids to say, man, there is somebody that I love and there is somebody that loves me back. And then finally, the study says this, is that we want our kids to find a satisfying career. In other words, that our children wake up every day and they don't say, oh, i got to go to work today. But man, I get to go do something that I love to do. All of those things are good. All of them. Only one out of the five, though, has any kind of eternal consequence whatsoever. And I'm afraid as parents that we often do this. I want you guys to hang in here with me. I promise it's not my goal to attack you today, but hopefully point us all to Jesus. As parents, we often focus our time on training our kids to accomplish things that, check it out, will not last. We want them to accomplish things that will not last and we push for them to be successful and we push for them to be satisfied. And it starts now, even as they're little kids, we say, we want you to be a winner and we want you to make good grades and we want you to make good grades so that one day, what? You can go to a good school and if you go to a good school, then hopefully one day you can have a good career and you will be satisfied at the stuff that you get to do. And I'm afraid that we oftentimes focus on things like that that won't last when it comes to eternity. When I was a kid, we got trophies growing up. Did you guys get any? We played ball and all, all that kind of stuff. And, and we had desks in our bedroom. I had two brothers, and we had desks that were made just for our rooms, and they had bookcases on top of them. And any time we got a trophy, and I know you're looking at me and you're going, he didn't get many trophies. But look, by the time I came along, you got trophies for showing up. And so we got a lot of trophies. And we would get them and we would take them home and we'd put them on that bookshelf. And before long, you know, just year after year of playing sports, you had trophies all over the room. And when people walked in, you wanted them to notice. Right? You had them all displayed. Maybe you had ribbons on top of them. If you'd gotten something else and you hung it there and people would walk in and you would almost point them over toward the bookcase so, so they could see it. And you go, man, look at how good I have done. Look at all of my trophies. And generally what they did, I shared a room with my middle brother. So generally for me, they just walked in. They went, hey man, how's, why's he got more trophies than you? Right? And so that was it. But, but I remember growing up and the trophies becoming less and less significant. Like, they're just there now. They're, they're actually kind of in the way. And when mom told me to clean my room, it was just something else that I had to dust. It had absolutely no meaning or significance in my life whatsoever. And it, it got to the point where I moved out. And at one, one, one moment, my parents called and they go, hey, you got a lot of stuff left over here. <laughs> right? And I go, not anything I want. I don't want anything that I left there. And so what they did was they didn't have the heart to throw it away. So they just took all my trophies and all my awards and all my certificates and they put them in a box. And for 30 years, probably, they've been sitting in stores, just kind of hanging out, just just in a box. And one day, my parents will pass away, and we'll inherit everything in that box. And you know where it'll end up? Probably in a dumpster somewhere, because it doesn't matter. It has no eternal significance 
whatsoever. And if we're not careful as parents, we'll spend our time focusing on everything that has very little impact on eternity. And very little will we focus on the things that have an impact for all of eternity. That's why the Bible says this. It says it was there. I want you guys to know that, that this is uh, in the book of Joshua. And Joshua is leading uh, the nation of Israel at this point. Moses has died. And we come to this account that it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. And he said to the Israelites... In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. And he did this, don't miss this, here's where we're focusing today. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God. And so again, here's what's happening. Uh, the nation of Israel is entering into the promised land. They're about to take over what God has already given them. And as they get ready to go to battle, the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water. They touch the Jordan River. All of a sudden, an entire body of water splits into the, 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 the ground dries instantly, and the people began to walk across. And the Lord tells Joshua, he says, I want you to command the people to do this. I want them to take 12 stones, and I want them to tote them to Gilgal, which is about eight or eight miles away, and I want them to, to build a monument there so that any time somebody passes by, they'll remember what happened here at the Jordan River. And then he said, I want you to take 12 more, and I want you to put them in the middle of the river, right where the priests are currently standing, and there will be a monument there, and when the river closes back over, it will wash over it, but it will be there as a reminder to the people of everything that I've done today. And then he said this, we're doing this for, for two reasons. I want you to build these monuments so that people remember, and they remember these two things. They remember the power of God, they remember the power of God, and they remember to fear the Lord. And so here are the two most important things that you can teach your children. Here they are. They're the mighty power of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. So if we want to be successful as parents, it is not determined on how many trophies our kids get, how many competitions they win, but it's determined on whether or not we teach them that they serve a powerful God that is able to accomplish anything, and we teach them to fear the Lord. That's it. The two most important things that you can teach your children are the power of God and the fear of of the Lord, but I'm not sure that that's what we're teaching them. I think instead that we spent decades, maybe even centuries, teaching our children how to act instead of how to interact with the God who created them. We're teaching them, hey, here's what you're supposed to do because this is right, but we're not teaching them to love and have a growing relationship with the God who gave those commands in the first place. And then we wonder, I don't know why my kids don't act right. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you came in this morning, and that's what you were thinking. You were thinking, man, every time I try to get my child out of bed, it's a struggle. Every time I ask them to clean their room, it turns into an argument. They never do what I'm asking them to do. And I'd say discipline plays a part in there somewhere, but ultimately what we need to teach them is to love and to fear the Lord. Because the action follows 
the love. Look, Scripture bats up what we're saying here. In John 14, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, when I was growing up, this verse was taught to me this way. That if you love God, you're going to prove it by the way that you act. Right? If you love God, then go prove it by obeying his commandments. In other words, let's follow the Ten Commandments. That's great advice, but we're going to follow those to prove our love to God. But in fact, the only imperative in this sentence is to love God. And what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that if you will focus on loving me, then you will naturally begin to obey my commandments. Because the more we learn to love God, the more we learn that obeying his commandments is actually the best way to live life. And as we began to obey his commandments and we began to raise our children to do the same thing, we will remind them of the mighty power of God and we will remind them that they should live their life in fear. Listen, not being afraid, but in a reverence of God, knowing that what he desires for them is what's best. Look, in the psalmist backs this up about the power of God. He says this, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, And the stars which you've set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And what is the son of man that you care for him? This is just the psalmist saying, God, you are huge. Right? You are bigger than I could ever imagine. And I want you to know your children need to know this. They don't need to know that there is just a God somewhere off in the middle of space that is demanding that they follow a set of rules. They need to know that there is a God that created them, that knit them together in the womb, that created them with a plan and with a purpose, and that he loves them, and that the same God that casts the stars into the sky is the same God that is there for them and cares for them on a daily basis. Listen, when your kids grow up and they're at work and they're having a hard time with a coworker, they need to know that the same God that created the universe cares for them and has the power to fix that situation. When they're married and it looks like their marriage is falling apart, they need to know that there is a God who is capable of doing anything that can restore that relationship and build it back stronger than it was in the first place. When they're wondering how it is that they're going to pay their bills, they need to know that there is a God who is powerful enough to provide for any need that they might ever have. It's important for us to teach our kids about the power of God. They need to know how big and how strong and how mighty he is. I bet no one that crossed the river that day doubted the power of God. What do you think? You think they saw God divide a body of water, all of a sudden mud turns into dry ground and they're marching across it going, man, I wish our God was bigger. I bet they're going, I can't understand how big he is. I don't get it. I don't understand how powerful and how mighty and how strong he is. And listen, we need to raise a generation of kids that are saying, I don't understand God completely, and I'm okay with that because he's stronger and he's bigger and he's wiser than I will ever be. They need to know the power of God. And listen, as they began to see the power of God, no one that day said, I can control God. I bet everybody that day said, I need to allow God to control me. Right? Look at this power. Look at what he's capable of. The power of God leads to the fear of God. Scripture says this. It says, do not be impressed with your own wisdom. This is great advice for politicians, right? Do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, listen, instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do you see? You see it though? You see the order? Fear the Lord and then you will turn away from evil. This is scripture saying exactly what we've been talking about. That if we understand the power of God, if we lead our kids to understand that power, then, then the allness of who God is 
will lead to the obeying of the commandments. And so we, we lead our kids. We lead them. It's our responsibility. In fact, jot this down. Being the spiritual leader in your child's life is your responsibility. In the passage, he said, listen, we're going to put these monuments up so that you, so that parents, when their children ask them, why is that there? They can say, listen, let me tell you about how awesome God is. Let me remind you of what he's done for us. But the responsibility was not that of the nation of Israel. It was that of the parents of each family. I want you to know, look, we're, we're honored to partner with you. But ultimately, it's your responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home. That's up to you as parents. And I, I'm honored that you trust us with your kids. And right now, I'm sure most of you have kids either over in our kids program. And I want you to know, Pastor Nate does an incredible job. They're over there right now, and they're learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're learning new things about the Bible. They're having fun. They're jumping around. They're having a great time right now. But it's not ultimately Pastor Nate's responsibility to train your kids to live according to God. It's yours. It's yours. And so we're honored to partner with you. But ultimately, the responsibility is not ours. It's, it's ours individually. It's mine. It's my responsibility to raise my daughter to know Jesus. It's your responsibility to raise your daughter to know Jesus. And I'm afraid it's a responsibility that we're failing at. Look, our kids have an amazing time. We have a couple pictures, as a matter of fact, of, of what's probably going on right now. So here's some Kids worship that's taking place. This pastor, or excuse me, uh, John Bowman right here. John is an amazing guy. He's been volunteering in kids forever. And the kids are jumping around. They're having a good time. They're worshiping. There's some of them doing that right now. There are others that are in, in small groups. And they're learning things about Jesus that they would not learn sitting in here and probably falling asleep. Right? They're learning good stuff right now. They're learning what it means to follow and, and love God. And every Sunday, we're honored. There are well over 100, 100 kids that come through our kids' ministry Every week, and it's an honor for us to be able to share Jesus with them. And then our students, they meet every Wednesday night, and this is a shot recently of one of their worship services. They've actually grown to the point that combined with COVID, they have to meet here in this room, and there's somewhere between 60 and 70 students that are here on an average Wednesday night, and we're honored to pour into them. But I say I think this is something that we're failing at as parents because statistics tell us this, that although there's 60 or 70 kids here on a Wednesday, over 100 here on a Sunday, that two-thirds of those kids at some point will walk away from their faith. That's two-thirds. That's 40 out of the 60 students that are in this room on a Wednesday night, at some point after graduating high school, will say, that was a fun part of life, but I don't need it anymore. That was cool, but, you know, that's fun for my parents, but I don't really think that's for me. I don't believe that anymore. That two-thirds of the kids right now that are worshiping Jesus and learning about the Bible and learning what it means to follow Him, that two-thirds of those kids right now, many of those are your kids, at some point will say, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I don't need what they had to offer. We're failing at it. We're failing at it. And I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with it. This is something that we have to get right as parents. Listen, that means if you have three kids, statistics would say that two of those will walk away from Jesus. Are you okay with going, hey, lost two of you, but at least I got one? No way. This is something we have to get right as a church. And getting it right means that we have to teach our kids the mighty power of God. And we've got to teach them to live in, in reverence and respect and honor of who 
he is. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, it says this. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Don't miss it. He says, fathers. You can insert the word parents there if you want to. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. But parents, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. It doesn't say journey church. It doesn't say grandparents. It doesn't say aunts and uncles. It doesn't say people who have a seminary degree. It doesn't say pastors. It says parents. That's me and that's you. It's our responsibility to raise our kids in the instruction of the Lord. This parenting is full of moments, isn't it? It's full of moments. Some are good, some not so good, right? There are moments where you're like, you're the best thing in the world. And there are moments where you're like, you got to get out of my presence for just a little while, right? It's for the safety of both of us. Right? We all have those moments as parents. You know what I'm talking about. But, but they're moments. They're moments that we have with them. They're, they're memories right now that you're thinking about. If I said, hey, tell me about a time that you just looked at your kid and you went, man, I'm so glad that you belong to me. There are probably moments that you could bring up. And there are things that you could think of. And there are stories that you could tell. And you could try to convince me that your child is funnier than mine or better than mine because you're a parent and you love your kids and you think they're great at everything. So they're not great at everything, by the way. Just, just hard truth right here on a Sunday morning. But look, you love your kids and you enjoy, I hope, the moments that you have with them. And we all have moments with them. And the cool thing about a moment is that anything can happen in a moment. Anything, absolutely anything can happen in a moment. A conversation can be started that literally leads your child to Christ in a moment. You can make a decision to react in anger that pushes your child away. And that, that, that can happen in a moment, right? Anything can happen in a moment. I remember moments growing up where I made decisions. Moments where I said, I'm going to go run away and hide from my mom in the middle of Walmart, in the middle of this clothes rack. Right? That was a decision I made in a moment. In a moment, she chose to respond. Right? In a moment. In a moment, everybody in the store knew what was going on. Right? Just in a moment. In a moment. Moment after moment after moment. In every moment that we have with our kids is a moment that we have to teach them about Jesus. And so I would say this, that as parents, we need to make the most of the moments God has given us. Because I was getting ready to share with you guys today, I began to think about how many moments I have left with my daughter. And I'm going to be honest, she's 10. That's young, right? She's still very impressionable. She still thinks I'm capable of doing anything at the moment. At the moment, right? That will fade. But I'm going to be honest with you. 10 more years and she's gone, right? Most kids at the age of 18 now go, hey, I'm, I'm out. And so the truth of the matter is I probably have less time with her now than I've already had. It's moments, right? I have few moments that are left, and I want you to know as a parent, however many moments you have left, if it's a lot or if it's few or if it's somewhere in between, you need to make the most of those moments. And in those moments, we can talk to our kids and we can share with them about who God is. And listen, those moments are, are two things, right? Two things make up those moments. In fact, you can jot this down if you're taking notes, but the moments we have with our kids include teachable and monumental moments. There are teachable moments, 
Right? My dad was an expert at this. We'd be going down the road and we'd see a hawk do something and my dad would take a conversation about a hawk swooping down to try to catch a rabbit and turn it into a conversation about God. It was a teachable moment. He made the best of those moments. There are teachable moments we all have with our kids, right? Whether it be the competition or sporting event or when something hasn't gone their way or when they're nervous to get on stage, we have an opportunity. We tell them how great they are. We can go, hey, let's just pray right now because you serve a God who's powerful and he can give us peace before we go out there. Those are, those are moments. They're teachable moments. They're also monumental moments. These are things that will shape your kids for the rest of your life. And I want you to hear me on this. These are almost impossible to spot coming. You just don't see them. But they end up making an impact that your child will remember forever. What we have in the crossing of the Jordan River is a monumental moment, right? A- absolutely. They go build a monument to remember it, but it's a monumental moment that remains a teaching moment to today. We're talking about it right now and we're learning from it. But it was a moment in time that had a huge impact on an entire nation, including all the kids that were there to witness it. One of those monumental moments for me involved my middle brother. He, he was the athlete of the family. Obviously, I got the brains, and so he was the athlete of the family. And, and he was really good, and he was on an all-star team, and they were going to play in a state tournament somewhere, and they had to play on Sunday, but my dad wanted us to know as his kids that church was more important than hobbies. All right, he wanted us to understand that. And I don't want you to hear this. We miss church sometimes to go to tournaments. All right, I want you to hear this. But this is a monumental moment that made an impact on me because that day we had the ability to go to church, but it was going to be inconvenient. It's going to be really inconvenient because church ended at 12, the ball game started at 2. Church ended at 12 on a good day, right? Amen. You know what I'm talking about? So probably more about 12:15, And so it ended. And then it was like get in the car and, and we all have to go. And that day, uh, we grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist church. Most everybody had on what you, they would consider nice clothes, right? With slats and buttoned up. And a lot of people had on suits and, and they had on ties. And they're walking around and everybody's walking in looking nice. My brother walks in in a stained up baseball uniform, <laughs> Walks through the back door like he's about to go play in the dirt. But that was the moment that I remembered how important attending church was. My dad made it clear. Listen, this is something that I absolutely had never forgotten. And I would say that I would probably be a flippant church attender and not a pastor had my dad not made it clear. That's a monumental moment in our family's life that he probably didn't even recognize coming. Look, they're, they're inconvenient, but they're moments that you have that will impact your child's life for all of eternity. I want to share with you just three things as we wrap up that I feel like you can do when you find yourself in those moments that will teach your kids about the greatness of God and will teach them to live in a way that honors Him. You ready? Let's do it. Number one, when you find yourself in that moment, set an example through your actions. Set an example through your actions. They don't just need to hear you talk about God. They need to see you live for Him. They need to see it prove that you actually want to live for him. But when we had our daughter, and she, she's pretty young in the picture you guys saw early, she came to church, I think, at a week old, and so we had her in her, her car seat, the, the same one that was there. We walked in, and, and I love living in the South because people give backhanded compliments all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just like, I feel like you're complimenting me, but I feel like you're cutting me down at the same time. I don't really know how to take it right now. So a lot of that's going on. And they're talking about how much my daughter looks like me. And a guy walks up and he, he pats me on the shoulder. And yeah, it's always too hard. And so you're leaning forward. You're like, 
Okay, man, I got it. You're there. He hits me on the shoulder and he goes, boy, you couldn't deny that one if you wanted to. <laughs> and I said, great, I don't want to, right? She's actually mine, I promise. She's, she's my kid. But he's saying, look, she looks just like you. Man, she looks like you. We say other things in the South when a, when a child is like a parent. We go, well, that's just a chip off the old block, right? Just a chip off the old block. They're doing exactly what their parent does and that's what they're doing. They watch you. And they learn, not by what you say, but they learn by what you do. And if you say prayer is important, but your child's never caught you praying, they probably don't think it's that important. And if you say reading your Bible is important, but you've never read the Bible with them, they probably don't think that it's that, it's that important, because they learn by what we do, not necessarily just what we say. But there's a reason that my daughter thinks scaring people is fun. It's because I think it's fun, Right? She, she learned by watching me. She didn't get that in her DNA. She, didn't, she wasn't born going, you know what I want to do is scare people and watch their reaction when they feel like their life is in danger. She wasn't born that way. She saw me. She saw me cut all the lights out in the house and stand in the doorway and wait for my wife to walk by. Right? She witnessed that. It's a joy, by the way. If you guys have not done it, try it tonight. It's a great time. You will enjoy it as, as the one scaring, maybe not the one being scared. But she saw that. She thought it was funny. She laughed at it. She heard her mom's ridiculous reaction to how scared she was. And she thought, that looks kind of fun. I think I will try it too. And so it was, it was great joy that was brought to me when I walked in one day and I noticed there's a weird blanket on our bed and I realized that there's a child under the blanket. And I pick it up and I go, what are you doing? She goes, shh, I'm waiting for mama. Right? It's a chip off the old block. She is simply doing what she has seen me do. And if you want to make the most of the moments that you have with your kids, listen, it has to start with you being the example. You can't say, hey, keep your calm. God's got this when you're losing total control. They have to see it inside of us. And so we are going to be the example. Matthew puts it this way. It says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Listen, if it's important for the entire world to see our good deeds and us living out our faith, how much more important is it that our kids see that at home? They need to see it. So it begins with us setting an example. And then it goes to here, exactly what I was just talking about my dad doing. You weave the gospel into your conversation. Just work it into the conversation. As you're going throughout normal life, there are opportunities for you to say, listen, let me, this teaches you something about who God is and about his character. Several years ago, my daughter, she's a dancer, and she was nervous and scared to go on stage. And my wife pulled her to the side, and she said, you know what we do when we're scared? We pray. And look, right there, my daughter, my daughter learned more about who God is than probably any Sunday school lesson that she's ever set through. She experienced it because my wife had the courage to weave the gospel into a normal moment of life. Do it. You'll be at lunch today. Something will happen and something will click in your brain and there'll be a spiritual truth there and you'll have a chance to talk to your family and your kids about the person and about the character of Jesus. Look, don't waste the moment. Don't waste it because we don't know when the next moment will come and you don't know that very well might be a monumental moment that impacts the life of your kid for all of eternity. And so we say as parents that I'm going to make the most of those moments and that includes me living it out in front of them. That includes me actually sharing the gospel in our conversation. Scripture says this, 
It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. Every day, as the days go by, we share the gospel with our kids. And then finally, the third thing we can do in those moments is we can practice discipline when it's needed. Some of you are going, man, I've been waiting for this. My kid's sitting beside me. And I want them to hear it. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know one thing about discipline. And we're going to wrap up this morning. Is that discipline must always be for the benefit of the child and not for the benefit of the parent. Listen, if you're disciplined so that you feel better or simply so that you feel right, you did it wrong. (laughs) Right? And look, I want you to know I'm not standing up here saying I've always done it right. I get it wrong a lot. I get it wrong a lot. My my knee-jerk reaction to discipline is to get mad and to get angry. It doesn't help my daughter at all. There was a point in life where we were dealing with the same thing over and over again. You know the frustration as a parent. You've probably made this comment. How many times do we have to have this conversation? Right? It got to the point where we removed everything from her room. Every toy that she had was in another room of the house. It didn't matter. Not one iota. And one day, my wife sat down and she wrote a note. And in that note, she wrote down what we expected of her as a child. And then my wife shared what it meant to her when those expectations were not met and how it, it made her feel as a parent, as a mother. And when she picked her up from school, she passed the note to her. And you guys, that sounds simple, but it was the best thing of discipline that has ever happened in our house. As our daughter began to weep and she began to realize everything that she had been doing, how it was dishonoring to God, how it was dishonoring to her parents, and how it was causing her to miss out on the best that God had for her. And so I want you to, I'm not telling you to write your kid's letter. Your kids may set it on fire and throw it in the fireplace. I, I have no idea. But I'm saying you've got to find out what works for them. You've got to find, they're unique. They're individuals. Discover what works for them. The Bible says this about discipline, and we'll close. Discipline your children while there's hope. You get That means at some point there's no hope. That if you refuse to discipline your kids, that at some point in their life it's too late. He says, I want you to discipline your children while there is still hope. Otherwise, you, look, look at the focus. Not their lives will be ruined, but you will ruin their life. And so I want you to know that those moments must include discipline. And so as you're walking through moments throughout the rest of this week with your family and with your children, I want you to make the most of them. Make the most of them by living out your faith in front of them. Man, talk about the gospel. Don't be afraid to bring up who God is and who Jesus is. Live it out. And then when correction is needed, don't shy away from it. Listen, don't say, I'm too tired, I will deal with that later. Because it will ruin their life. It will ruin their life. He goes, I had a chance to, to go out and eat last night at a at one of my favorite restaurants. And uh, we had a good time. We, we had a reservation, so we walked in, and we gave the lady our name, and they escorted us to our table, and we sat down, and she's coming to take our drink orders. And, and my wife, we're with some friends. She looks at all of us. She goes, hey, I think you got to ask for bread here now. I guess due to COVID, they're not just bringing it out. So we asked. I said, hey, can you bring a loaf of bread when... When you come back out, and I happen to think it's the best bread in the River Region area. So when they bring it out, my wife begins to cut it up. And as she cuts, I begin to eat. 
right? So I get a piece of bread, and I eat it, and I'm like, man, that is as good as it was last time I was here. And so I reach over, and I grab another piece, and I eat it. And at that point, the entire loaf's gone because the people we're with just eating all the bread, I guess. And, and we're, I'm eating it, and it's gone, and my wife goes, hey, you think we should ask for another loaf? And a mental battle begins inside of me because I go, I have something better coming. Right? Although this, this appetizer of bread is really good, there's a main course that is coming that's even better. And, and as an adult, it, sometimes you have to go, all right, I'm going to stop eating the appetizer so that I can actually enjoy the meal. Right? And so she goes, sure enough, I'll bring you guys another loaf. And praise be to God in heaven. She didn't bring it until our meal got there because I would have filled up on bread. Right? That would have been it for me. I'd have been eating my meal this afternoon, warmed up in the microwave. That'd have been it because I would have filled up on the appetizer. I want you to hear me this. Hear me. Parents, don't waste your kid's life by filling them up on appetizers. And what they really need to enjoy is the full course meal of Jesus. Right? Don't miss it. Baseball is fun. Golf is fun. Soccer is fun. Dance is fun. Being good at school, all that stuff's fun. But it's just an appetizer to the stuff that really matters in life. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you, and you love us, and you love our kids more than we ever could. And so, Lord, we come to you asking you to teach us how to raise them. God, teach us how to do what's right. Lord, show us clearly the next steps that you desire for us today. Because as you remain in a state of prayer, I want to walk you through a couple of things that you can do with today's message. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering what any of this has to do with you. What should I do with it? Step one is for you to begin living out your faith in front of your kids. Maybe that's your next step today, that you actually just start living out what you've claimed to believe for their entire existence, that now they see mom and dad living for Jesus. They just don't hear about it, and it's not just a matter of going to church is something that we do, but it's, hey, this is who we are. And we are followers of Jesus. And live it. Let them see it. Maybe your next step is just start weaving that gospel and to your everyday conversations. Man, allow God to speak into the lives of your kids through His Word. Let it happen. Maybe you're in the room and you go, man, I'd love to impact the next generation. I don't have kids. Maybe your next step is that you begin serving. You can impact the next generation now. There's over 100 kids learning about Jesus. Over 70 kids on Wednesday learning about Jesus. Maybe you go, I just want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of teaching them to live for Jesus so that nobody can say about Journey Church that two-thirds of the people that attend here as kids and students walk away from their faith. And then ultimately, as a parent, you can't lead your children somewhere you've never been. And so if you're here today, and you're a parent, and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I want you to not worry about everything else I've said this morning, because the one thing that you need to do is surrender your life to Him. Say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. This is a conversation between you and God. You can say something similar to this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. 
Lord, I need your help. Forgive me of my sins. Today I turn my life over to you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died, you were buried, and you rose again. God, I thank you that you're a God who continues to bring about new life. God, give us wisdom beyond anything we could ever have on our own as we seek to raise our kids in a way that they know and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just made a decision to follow Christ as your Savior, we are so excited for you. We want to help you in your next step. So if you will text the word, my decision, to 94,000, we would love to bring some information to you. And now we're going to bring our tithes and offering. You'll see a link on the screen that you can follow. Or you can go to myjourneychurch.com, click on the giving tab, and there you'll see easy steps to give your tithes and offering.